You are listening to the message by Antioch Centre for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. No church should be a warehouse where we just store up power and enjoy it for ourselves. It has to be carried out to the nations. It has to be brought to other countries, other places, and uh, it is a legacy for all of us to enjoy. And I'm so glad that happened to you guys to, to see that. And it's just the beginning. You also had already given so much and you'd already spent so much time investing and going into missions programs and doing projects. And a lot of that's out of your own pocket. So this is just the way that God can show you give you something back and because your desires the desires of your heart are to serve him and i know for the latter part of your lives that's what you want to spend your time doing and this is just a precursor to more and more that's going to come so i'm excited uh to to witness it happening and it's certainly uh it's a common thing that people that are connected to any church where the spirit of the lord is moving that they will unexpectedly find themselves in ministry positions and so just don't fight it just keep yielding i know you didn't fight it so you yielded to what the lord did when he did it and when those doors open up sometimes people have trouble opening they have trouble yielding to that but that's really what we need to do we need to have life in the power of the holy spirit and that that's a perfect segue into the message that i had already planned and actually this is a message that i developed last week for the Indonesian church and I couldn't shake the principles that the Lord had given me when I went to to that church and so I wanted to uh, go through it deepen it a bit because when I did it with that church it was through interpretation and that kind of limits the 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 quantity and also some of the quality of what you're trying to say so I, this morning meditating on this I put it together and I want to start by reading Really, from today's daily reading, we've been reading, we just started the book of Acts in the last couple of um, days in our Bible reading. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, it says, In the former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, we know later as this passage continues, we run into some other famous scriptures that we use. For instance, after this, they immediately want to know, well, now are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Because they were concerned about the Roman occupation. But he says, no, that's the, you don't need to worry about that. All you need to worry about is what I just told you, that you need to wait for the promise of the Father. You will receive power if the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses. That is, so that you can go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Livingston, wherever. Wherever you go, whether you plan it or not, if you carry the anointing of God and the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, it will find a way out and someone will be touched if you're willing to yield to that. And really, it's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
This is God's plan and purpose for the church. The church was born after the conception of spirit. That was the confession of Jesus as the Christ by by Peter or Simon, who was then called Peter in, in, the, um, in the book of Matthew. He confessed and said, you are the Christ. He said, on this rock of revelation, I'm going to build my church. So that was the conception of the church. Then through the gestation of the church, the principles of the kingdom were outlined in the Gospels by Jesus himself to the disciples. So he was equipping them. But really the life of the church did not begin until even a chapter past what we're reading here. In the second chapter of Acts, the Holy Spirit came upon them and God breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of the church. The church was formed together as a body because the disciples were all put together and they were carefully trained by Jesus, but they did not yet have the power or the life. And as I was reviewing this first chapter in Acts, even you see that evidenced in the fact that when they had to choose the replacement for Judas Iscariot, they used the lots or they cast lots, which was a system used in the Old Testament by the priests. In other words, they did not yet have the ability to discern the voice of God. The Spirit had not yet come upon them. That's why Jesus said in this form, look, don't go anywhere. Go wait. Don't leave Jerusalem until you get that. Now, after you get that, then you will go. You'll receive power. Then you will go out and do it. And I, I, I'm so blessed to hear a testimony like that with you guys because you hear, you receive, I've seen you receive power from the Holy Spirit dozens and dozens of times in different places. And, and it's in you. It cannot help but come out of you. So to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to understand these principles. We need to yield to these principles. We need to ask God to give us that. And really, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is a great example of one who lived in the Spirit and taught about living in the Spirit. And, of course, he had an amazing encounter with God. If we consider his experiences, I want to see the first time he had a head-on collision with the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul, that is Paul, of, um, of Tarsal, Tarsus was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that is those who believe in Christ, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and they did not eat or drink anything. We know the story continues when later God sends Ananias to pray for him to receive his sight, but more specifically to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He laid hands on him. He received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that was really the beginning of Paul's ministry, an encounter with the white light of heaven that blinded him. Then subsequently, three days later, he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, during that process that he went through this spirit empowerment, he had some amazing experiences. He writes about these in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 
one, I must go on boasting, he says, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. And he's talking about his visions, things he had seen, things revealed to him in the supernatural realms of God. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, he says, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. One translation said that no man is able to tell, meaning the things that he experienced, he perceived, he saw in the spiritual realm, he, he could not understand. Now, someone may say, well, he's talking about somebody else here. This is a, a kind of a poetic prose that he was using of humility. He's speaking of himself. And this is when he started his ministry in, in the area. This is the second letter he wrote to the Corinthians because there was a 14-year lapse before his first real journey started. And this speaks of the fact that it was that time he's referring to the, what happened to him on the road to Damascus when he met Jesus and later those no telling what happened those three days that he was blind alone in that house and had these amazing encounters with God. But suffice it to say Paul had a lot of experience with the Holy Spirit. He was blinded for three days. I had an experience with the Holy Spirit in 1995, but I was only blinded for 45 minutes. So I imagine three days going through that process and 45 minutes being blind and only seeing white light is very scary. I might want to tell you that I actually considered that moment I might be blind, but little by little my vision came back. And that was in 1995, April 7th, from about um, 8.45 until um, uh, just around uh, 9.30, my vision came back and I had to drive all the way back home, weeping and crying in the presence of God. And that was a real awesome moment in my life where I began to learn about life in the Spirit, life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Before that, I was in full-time ministry for 10 years. Uh, before that, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was born again, water baptized, educated in the church, went to Bible school, graduated, and was actually ministering, but living in a full capacity of power, some outpouring through me that had never really happened quite like that. And I was so grateful for the opportunity to experience God's power. And one of the reasons I was most excited about experiencing God's power is because I didn't want to go to the nations empty-handed. And I knew that God had called me and was sending me to go and preach and teach. But the last thing I wanted to do was show up and simply have words. Now, words are good. Words are powerful. But I like what Paul said. And now we're referring to the same Paul with his experiences in the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he speaks about the fact that he had gone to the Corinthians to tell them about the common salvation, that is, salvation in Christ. But after he was with them, he entered into a state of uh, trembling and fear. And the Spirit of God manifested through him. And it says they believed in him or in the message that he carried, not because of the persuasive words of man's wisdom, but because of the demonstration of the Spirit. And that was why the Corinthians believed. And Paul had so much through his lifetime that he talks about life in the Spirit. But one of my favorite passages where he talks about it is in Romans. And really, so much comes out of the chapter, Romans 8, 
Romans 9, 10. A lot of our doctrines are based on what we believe is, as uh, believers in Christ come out of these passages in Romans. But I want us to take a look today at Romans chapter 8. And we're going to go forward and read verses 1 and on about seven benefits of the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to live a life in the Holy Spirit, but these are benefits. And also these things are things that we need to decide to do every day. And what I want to say before I get into this is that all of our experiences in God are a choice that we make. All that we yield to, and yielding, you hear us use that word a lot, how to submit. But it's more than submitting. Anything I've ever received from God, I've begged him for. I have sought him. I've called out to him. I've asked him again and again for his visitation. I'm very specific also about how I ask him. I ask with a great deal of specificity exactly what I want in my encounter with him and what I ask he gives. So as you want from him, you can ask. But these are really in the Bible. We're going to see these seven things in Romans chapter 8 that we need to make choices to have, to do, to be. And the first one we see, number one, is uh, we can live according to the Holy Spirit. We all live our lives different ways. We can live our life according to our natural state, or we can live according to our spiritual state. And this is where Paul starts saying, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, first of all, if you're in Christ Jesus, raise your hand. That means you believe in him. You've accepted his sacrifice. Amen. That's us. So guess what? There's no condemnation for us. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Now you know that Jesus died on the cross to break the power of sin, break the power of death, the grave, and hell over our lives so that we would not have to pay the consequences for our iniquities or the filth of sin, the curse that was on us because of sin. All of this has been broken by the blood of Jesus. So he condemns sin in his flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. This is interesting that there was a requirement of the Old Testament law that had to be fulfilled. That's why he said, don't think I've come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. Because he could, we couldn't. And he did. He did entirely in the flesh live as a perfect human. So he fulfilled all the requirements of the law. And the law, basically, he put a big check in the box next to it. Done. And when he did that, he liberated us from the necessity of having to do the same. We're freed from the law. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit and here's the trick all that the lord offers us from the sacrifice at calvary cannot be obtained by living according to our natural being it is a spiritually attained thing and jesus spoke spiritual words People didn't understand it all the time. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And they were offended and walked away. And when he challenged his disciples, said, you leave me too. They said, well, where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Because he told them that. 
And he said those words in his own hometown synagogue. And the Jewish leaders were so offended. They said, isn't this Joseph and Mary's boy? What is he talking about? And so he said it again. Unless you really eat my flesh and drink my blood. He said, the words I speak are spirit words. And the flesh is of the flesh and it will profit you nothing but the spirit. So everything that comes to us, salvation onward, and everything that is pure and holy from God cannot be acquired or obtained by our flesh or our physical being. It must be done through spirit so we can live according to the Holy Spirit. But it's a choice we make. And when I wake up every day, I make a choice. I'm going to live by the Holy Spirit. I still have to brush my natural teeth. I'm not just, you know, I'm living so much in the spirit now. I no longer bathe or brush my teeth or put deodorant on. I have to take care of the physical part of me. But the decision-making process of my being can be made according to the spirit. And this is where we make a choice. Jesus died for us to be set free from this sin, but we still have a choice. And the cross is the path that leads to life in the spirit if you want to get into a relationship with the holy spirit and live by the holy spirit your spirit bearing witness with his in daily life you can only get there through the cross so when you think about jesus dying for you you think about the blood you receive that over you you say lord wash me free so that i might live in the spiritual capacity that you want me to live in meaning that jesus died to bring us back to god this is all about reconciliation Walking with the Spirit of God is the manifestation of the reconciliation that he died for. Now, a lot of people just relegate reconciliation to an eternity. That we will be in heaven, and when this life is over and all of its difficulties and hardships, we will pass on, and then reconciliation will take place. No, reconciliation has already begun. We are now reconciled to God. So if we're reconciled to God, we should have all that was lost. Well, Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. Adam walked and talked with the Lord. So today we can, if we live according to the spirit and not the flesh, we can walk and talk and live. In him we live and move and have our being. We can exist in the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit means we are completely submerged. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're baptized with the Holy Spirit. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. We live according to the Holy Spirit. And when I was only 12 years old, God started calling me to that spiritual life. He started calling me to go there. But it's life overall. In the broad strokes category of our choice, let's decide to live our life in the Holy Spirit. It's my choice, and you're welcome to join me. God called me and I responded to the call. Many are called, but few are chosen. And if he's calling you to live in the Spirit, it's up to you. He will choose you to give you unlimited power, but you have to respond to that call. Amen? And it's not always that easy because we are very mental people. How many of you like to use your mind? Do you like to figure things out? The number one enemy to the move of the Spirit is the human mind. In fact, I've seen that usually the smarter the person, the more difficult it is for them to make a spiritual connect to God. Now, they can be intellectual, and they can learn many things theologically, and they can become very learned about the passages of the Bible, but as far as what is a real spiritual connection, it's a little more challenging at times. 
But in all my experiences in other nations, in Mexico, in India, in Cambodia, you name it, in third world countries, it seems that the lower the intellect, the easier it is for the spirit to move and act and exchange in people's lives and do things. So it's about our mind, and that's number two. We have our mind governed by the Holy Spirit. This is a choice. When you wake up in the morning, your mind is under your control. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Whenever I see this wording, I think about setting an alarm clock. How many of you hate setting an alarm clock? How do you like the, you know, I like the day off when you are not required to set the alarm clock. In fact, I look at my alarm on purpose to not set it when I know I don't need to set it. Because it's like a point of rejoicing for me. And I know I'm not going to set you. Put it down and go to sleep. And sometimes I still wake up early because I'm so excited about having free time to do what I want on that free moment. But you set that alarm. And if you don't, how many of you ever forget to set your alarm? And you thought you did. And you end up having to pay certain consequences as a result. Well, we have to. It's a choice we make to set the alarm. It's the same with our minds. You are in control of your mind. You have to set it either on the flesh, which is by default, or on the spirit, which is by choice. Because you are flesh as I am flesh. In fact, I find that every time I go to sleep and wake up the next morning, the old Stephen in the flesh is resurrected. And I have to go through a new process of crucifixion. And it's what Paul said. I die daily. I'm crucified with Christ. I die, but I live, but not. I'm not living. Christ lives through me. He's talking about a daily decision he was making to set his mind on spiritual things versus physical things and live by the Spirit. The mind governed, now we see it governed. It's, your mind is either going to be governed by spirit or governed by flesh. The mind governed by the flesh is death, it says. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And it seems like if we have a choice between death, life, and peace, I would go for the life and peace. So I want my mind to be governed by the spirit. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It is. If you're living and your mind is being controlled by your physical being, the last thing you want to do is read the Bible. The last thing you want to do is pray. The last thing you really want to do is go to that church service where you have to interact in the amalgam of souls of the body of Christ. The Bible says forsake not the assembling of ourselves together because there's something that happens in the corporate anointing that is not the same as our private home experience. So the natural mind does not like to do those things because it is an enemy of God. It's hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law or his principles, nor can it do so. And so don't get angry at your mind. I'm just telling you, it cannot do it. It would be like you expecting a two-year-old child to play Chopin on the piano. And you're angry at that two-year-old because he cannot expertly execute that musical composition on the piano. Well, how could you expect? A two-year-old cannot do that. I mean, even in the realms of prodigies, it takes, it usually they have to be four or five before they can, I mean, Beethoven wrote his first symphony at five. But a two-year-old, that's out of their league. Well, think of your brain that way. Your mind, do not get angry at your mind or yourself. 
And this is a little thing I learned a long time ago in the Bible. This word flesh appears a lot and it gets a little confusing. Flesh, like we think like at cold starch in the, in the meat department, there's chunks of meat there, flesh. But your flesh is, well, let me just give you this. This is the way I always straighten myself about this. Right now, take your hand and touch any part of yourself that is flesh. This is flesh, right? This is flesh. Okay, now take your hand. Touch any part that is yourself. Touch yourself. It's the same thing. So when you understand what flesh is, just replace it with the word self and you'll understand. So a mind governed by yourself is hostile to God. In other words, all alone by yourself, your physical capacity making choices about the spiritual realm doesn't work. It cannot work and it won't. You have to allow the spirit of God to help your mind. Your spirit has to connect with him and it's not an easy choice because the human mind is a real battleground in the war against evil. And a lot of people are focused on the heavens. They're focused on a spiritual uh, thing above, but the real war is right here inside your head. If you focus on your own mind, you will be able to yield that mind to the Holy Spirit and live a different life. And in fact, if you can conquer the war of thoughts, and the Bible says you take captive every thought that fights against the nature of God. And it just said that the battle is in this hostility comes from what? It comes from the flesh. It comes from your own human mind. And it cannot submit to God. So that means that the war that's taking place inside of your reasoning is a war between your mind, the natural mind, and the principles of God. You Im implant into yourself the principles of God. You read the Bible, you hear messages, and your mind just can't get it. Well, those thoughts then will rise up in opposition. It doesn't make sense. I don't get that. Those are the thoughts that must be taken captive according to the Bible. You stop those thoughts. You take them captive, it says in the Bible, and that word means take them prisoners like prisoners of war. You don't trust them. You handcuff them. You put them into cells. That's just the first stage of what you have to do. Our actions, both good and bad, all start with our minds. Think about what you do first happens here. You think it, you do it. You think pizza, you call dominoes. You think McDonald's, you get McDonald's. You think of the thing and then you do it. You think about something you want to see on television, you turn the TV on. So everything really starts in the mind. Your body does not just automatically flip around and grab something out of the refrigerator. You start inside your head. So the real beginning of every battle can be won and lost in the realm of thoughts. And the only person that can really help you have the advantage is the Holy Spirit. So that means that in a relationship, in a koinonia with the Holy Spirit, because that's why he's called the one called alongside to help, in a relationship with him, you are inviting him to take control of your mind, governed by spirit, saying, Lord, please take over my thoughts. I yield them to you. I give them to you. First, you give your life entire, your physical being, then you're moved into the realm of thoughts that you yield to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is kind of hard to do because we are very much oriented into the realm where we are. We think of the natural world. We think of this room here, Antioch Teaching Nations, this center. 
that we have. Thank God for this beautiful place that the Lord has blessed us with and has been faithful to provide. And, and he's so good. And we have worship here and we get to spend time in the presence of God. This is a physical realm, but really our concern is not physical in that realm, but spiritual. And that's number three. We exist in the realm of the Holy Spirit. And it's a choice. Uh, the way I see it is a line drawn. I was explaining to the Indonesian church how I have to cross that line and I have to make that choice. And I do it quite theatrically. I play dramas to myself to help me understand. I'm a simple man. And I draw a line and I think eternity is on this side, time is on this side. I will either live in the realm of time where there are so many limitations. We have laws in the realm of time. The natural laws of this universe apply, which means cancer cells can destroy my body, which means uh, a lot of things that naturally occur. But on that realm, if I cross that line over in this realm, I can walk on water. Jesus did it. Peter did it. There's things that are impossible that can happen in the spiritual capacity. So therefore, we live in one or the two realms. We make choices all the time. And I say, if you make all of your decisions in the natural realm, you will always live a natural life. But if you start making decisions in the spiritual realm, so does you say, well, how do I get over there? Once again, the aforementioned blessed Holy Spirit is the one that will take you by the hand and pull you over to that other side. But you have to invite him to do so. And then you have to cooperate when he tugs on you to go there. And to me, it is a very real line of demarcation. It is a border. And I am so aware of the difference, the atmosphere, the ambiance of this realm versus that realm. And I make a choice when I pray, God, today I am no longer going to live restricted to the realms of the natural, the realms of time. I have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that has given me the right to live a life in the Spirit, for my mind to be governed by the Spirit. So therefore, I make a choice to cross that line today into the spiritual realm. That line, in fact, was drawn as a line that was unpassable. An insurmountable obstacle was put, and it was represented by a veil in the temple. But when Jesus died, what happened? It split in half. So the line was broken down, and the way was made open for anybody who went. There is a rest now that remains for us, and we can all go over into that realm. We can go over to the realm of the Spirit, but it is a choice we have to make, and it's not an easy choice. That's why the Bible says, make every effort. To enter that rest in Hebrews. And wherever it says make every effort. It means there's going to be a battle. There's going to be a fight. And there will be resistance. So the choice has to be made. And you have to fight your way in. I know in my first experiences. In the realm of the Holy Spirit. Entering into the spiritual realm. It was not easy for me to get there. It took a long time for me to understand it. It took me years to really start to grasp. The first time I ended up crossing that line, I did so mistakenly when I was a 12-year-old boy. Scared me half to death. I ran away from that realm for a long time until God showed me the truth through Jesus. And really that line is a line that the only way you can get across that line is through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice. If you ever want to go into the Holy of Holies, do so by the blood of Jesus. Go 
by way of Calvary. That's how I do it. Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross. You took my sins. What formerly kept me separated from the Father, and that is the eternal presence of God, that realm, because it's the kingdom of God. The kingdom is where the king is, and the king is in that realm, the spiritual capacity. I think of the blood of Jesus, and I go through the blood. The blood is what makes me able to go through that rupture in the veil in the temple into the holiest place of God. So the world of the Spirit, really, it's a totally different kingdom. Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God already uh, being with us. You know that passage that I have it here about, um, did we put that in the PowerPoint the passage? about? Uh, maybe it's not in there. I had added it to one of the PowerPoints. Maybe it didn't make it. It's about the kingdom is in your midst. It's not, it goes right to number four next. Okay, well then wait just a second. You know the passage where it says that they were looking for the kingdom and somebody asked him, when will the kingdom come? And he says, look, the kingdom's not coming with your careful observation. And what he meant was, you're not going to see it because it is not a geographic location. In fact, if somebody says, look, here's the kingdom or look, there is the kingdom, and that's not how it works. It transcends space just like it transcends time. But he said the kingdom of God is already in your midst. What he meant was the message he was preaching, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Meaning at hand means whatever you can reach, whatever is in, in your arm's length that you can grasp, this iPad, this music stand, this keyboard, this can, that means that's how close the kingdom is. And I have to change. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I have to change the way I think. All these things we're seeing, I have to change my life. I have to change my mind. I have to make a choice to make that change. It's kind of like changing underwear. It doesn't change itself. You have to take off the old and put on the new. It sounds so crude, but it, I think it is something we can all identify with. I mean, if you put new, fresh underwear on top of old underwear and just keep piling it up, one after the other. No, you have to get rid of the old. I think of Elisha when Elijah was taken up in the fiery chariot and the mantle was falling for him to take the new. It says that he grabbed his garments and he ripped them off so that he could take up the new. And that new place, it requires that we leave the old behind because he, there he will give us new wine. And to have new wine, we need new wineskins. So you can decide to leave the realm of the flesh and live in the realm of the spirit. This is a choice you must make every day. For me, music makes it a lot easier. A little while ago, I did it. Some of you joined me during the worship. I was able to, I crossed that line easily. And music just kind of greases the skids. Especially when you're singing about all the things I'm talking about right now singing about the blood you're singing about the cross you're singing about all the elements that cause us to be able to change from the inside out repenting changing repenting sometimes sounds like you're on the ground crying saying i'm sorry i'm sorry that word just means to change to have a turnaround in the way that you think so that when i do that i can come into the realm of the Holy Spirit boy i want to live in the realm of the spirit i don't want to live the world is so depressing Gosh, it's so oppressive and dark. And I watch news every day. It just should be called bad news. I like the last little 30-second thing they throw on there about some kid that's raising puppies or something. After 40 minutes of just disasters and heartache and devastation. And that's pretty much it. 
I don't have a lot of people that I talk to that are happy about what's going on in their life, honestly. Maybe it's because I'm a pastor and they approach me as someone to dump the things on. You know, like, can I need to talk to you about some issues? Which I don't mind. I'm not shirking my responsibilities to hear negativity. But there's just so much negativity in this world, in this life. But on that other side of that line, in the realms of the spirit, there's joy, there's peace, there's rest. You can take a deep breath and relax. You can be free from the weights of life. And the good news is that the spirit of the Lord has been given to us and that the spirit gives us life. Amen. Let's go to number four. We can conquer sin by the Holy Spirit. You might say, you know what, I just have a real issue with sin. I keep sinning no matter what I do to try to stop these sins in my life. This, these things just keep coming back. I've tried, I've fasted, I've prayed, and there are these issues. Well, uh, I wanted to ask if you have employed the Holy Spirit in that endeavor. And you think, well, no, this is a choice I have to make. Well, read the scriptures. This is Paul continuing to write in the same chapter. But if Christ is in you, because he's talking about the Spirit, if Jesus is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. So where there is death, where there is the inability to change who you are and what you are and how you think and how you act, that is only if you're dependent upon your own will, your own purpose, your own ideas, your physical being. But when we trust the Spirit, we're able to make some very real changes. You know you're living by the Spirit when you feel like you are a little boy not getting ice cream in your own life to yourself. You will prohibit yourself from doing certain things or having things. You limit yourself. We might call it self-discipline. The Holy Spirit one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control because the fruit, the, the, the works of the flesh dictate loss of control, abandonment of control, revelry, and, and just wild riotousness. And, you know, there's all these things in the Greek. But the Spirit is the remedy to that where you cannot control, where you cannot limit yourself. The Holy Spirit can give you the ability to limit those things. If you yield to it, once again, it's always yielding. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh. Because see, that's the sometimes the feeling we have. Well, you know, I just, my flesh needs this. I need this. I need this for myself. And it's something that you know is not particularly good for you spiritually. But you just feel, no, your obligation should not be to your flesh, is what he's saying. We think that we're obligated to live according to it. But the spirit life is something dear. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now here, this put to death the misdeeds means that you murder these impulses. And sin is a difficult thing to overcome. And um, before you think I'm going so extreme here that I'm saying you're supposed to live a sinless life, John writes it like this. And John was a great guy, really close to Jesus. He said, I write this to you, dear children, that you sin not. But if any man sins, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Because he knew in writing that he was a great guy. He was holy. He made a lot of good choices. But he knew it's impossible for us not to occasionally make mistakes. But it is possible for us to constantly yield to the Spirit. 
but it's a choice we have to make to put those things to death, to deal with them. We can learn to conquer sin by putting it to death. We can assassinate sin each day by choosing to yield to the Holy Spirit. Number five, we know we cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we be like little children. We live as children by the Holy Spirit. He continues to write to the Romans, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. How do you know you're a child of God? Because the Spirit is leading you. The Spirit is guiding you. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him, we cry, Abba, Father. Now, Abba, Father is Daddy. It's a very close, affectionate way of calling Him Father. He's not Heavenly Father in heaven in a stoic voice. He is Daddy. Whatever your are in Mexico, they say Papi. Or they they have different names. I, I I called my dad Daddy for a short time when I knew him close. Um, last time I saw him, I did I called him Dad. It sounds a little more uh, adult than Daddy, and we haven't had the closest relationship. But whatever you call your father, if you're close to him, maybe you don't. But that's what the Bible is saying because of the adoption to sonship that comes through the Spirit. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves to live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption. So it's the Holy Spirit is the catalyst of adoption. The Holy Spirit, in living in the Spirit, is what causes you to come in close proximity to the Father, enough to call Him your Daddy, and relate to Him as your Daddy, and He relate to you as His dear Son. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I like that because small S spirit and big S spirit are having a powwow and talking about things behind your back. In fact, the spirit small, if you do a study on it, I always talk about it. I need to do that message again sometime. The small spirit is a very rarely mentioned thing, your spirit. And when you study the uses of the word, it's interesting. It speaks a different language. Uh, it's held as a prisoner in our souls. It wants to break out. It's, it is in relationship with the Holy Spirit. The child of you that is God's child is the Spirit in you. And so the Holy Spirit of the Abba Father and the Spirit of you have to come together in this unity, in this connection that can only happen in a spiritual connection in the spiritual realm. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. So that means the Holy Spirit is constantly telling your spirit inside, you are his little child. He is your daddy. And you can enjoy all the benefits of being close to daddy. Now, if we are children, and it's, if it's not enough that we are children, I like this part, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Co-heirs means that whatever he inherits, we will inherit. Whatever Jesus gets, we get. That's a lot. That's a whole lot. Uh, if your dad was wealthy, if your father was, you know, one of the Waltons um, founder, Sam Walton of Walmart in the United States, the largest uh, retailer in the world, or maybe your dad was Bill Gates or some other wealthy person, Mark Zuckerberg is daddy, and, and you get an inheritance 
uh, from him. That's that's good news. That'd be great because that'd be a massive inheritance of a lot of money. How much more does our father have? Not just in the realms of the natural, because that he has too, because the Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, meaning everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, the, the nations are run by people and the, the world cosmos, socio-political gatherings of men is really under the jurisdiction of Lucifer himself. The devil is the god of this world. But our god owns the physicality and we are heirs. Anything, that gives you a real place. If you know your daddy is well off, you're not worried about tomorrow. And that is really your inheritance. Now we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share his sufferings, and that's part of the price. If you live a life as a child of God, there will be a price to pay. Not everybody is going to find it popular or attractive. In fact, most will not. And if you openly live confessing who he is for you, then most people will find it abrasive and irritating, and they don't particularly want to hear that all the time. But the more we confess that and live that, of course, the more opportunity we have to bring them into the same knowledge we have. We share this love that we have. Number six, we have hope in the Holy Spirit. And hope is a precious commodity. It's so easily lost in this dark age. Uh, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And this is true because creation is subject to the curse of humanity from sin. So at its best, it'll be, as I said, the news always depicts, it'll be a dark realm, but we don't live in that realm. We live in the realm of the Spirit. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And this patient waiting is something that God always calls us to do. I think about faith, hope, and love, these three things that the Bible talks about. And specifically, hope is to expect. Hope is not necessarily the fulfillment of the things your faith declare. It is just you thinking that it should or would. And hope alone, just the hope of something, has so much power in it. I like what it says in Hebrews chapter 11 about the, the heroes of our faith. These died having never seen the realization of the things they hoped for. But the glory of the hope itself and the expectation carried them through their entire lives. Therefore, that determines whether or not or shows me whether or not your focus is on above or below. Remember it says, set your affections, just the same as setting your mind. You have to set your affection on things above. Set your mind on the heavenly things. And if you make that choice, well then your hope will never disappear because your treasures are above, they're connected in heaven. You will never lose hope. You'll always be hopeful. Always be hopeful. I think of Elon Musk trying to do it in a natural sense. Somebody asked him one time, why are you building these spaceships and why are you doing SpaceX and you want to put colonies on Mars? And he had a really interesting answer. He said, I just want to wake up in a world that's hoping for something more. And everybody's despairing about pollution, this, that, the other. And his, the, the, one of the things I heard him say, he feels like he needs to, uh, you know, you back up a hard drive. He feels like he needs to back up humanity on another planet. 
Now, I'm, I'm not saying we need to do that, but he fascinates me. Because this is another example of somebody, he's living in hope of something better. He's trying to better things. What if we had more people like that that were optimistically hoping for a better tomorrow instead of the negative naysayer people? Hope is powerful, and the Holy Spirit is, is a creator of hope. He harbors hope. He's a harbinger of hope. He's a producer of hope. Hope that is given to you. We don't need to be ashamed. Hope we have in the Holy Spirit that's spread abroad in our hearts, the Bible says. The hope is spread abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that was given to us, it says in the Scriptures. Which means that the Holy Spirit himself is giving us hope. If you ever feel that you're losing hope, you have a friend, you have an advocate named the Holy Spirit. And you can just say, give me hope before I die. Because I feel like I'm going to pass out. I feel like I'm going to go weary and well-doing. I'm losing hope. The Holy Spirit will give you hope where it doesn't even make sense to have it. He will bypass natural reasons. And you will have hope when there is no hope. It just will appear inside of you. But it is not natural. It's supernatural. And the Holy Spirit, I know, because the Holy Spirit has given it to, given it to me many times in dark crevices of my life and dark hours and minutes where I'm threatened and people say they want to kill my children in India and or people say it, they're going to shoot me and they're firing guns over our church tent and uh, those moments that you are petrified and wondering if you shouldn't run away but the Holy Spirit kept me in those realms because he just keeps giving you hope giving you hope and hope has a voice it says what if what if? But what if you what if you just wait a little longer? Hope is what the gardener said to the landowner. Just leave it one more season. What if I fertilize it a little better? Will it not? There's always hope. We need hope in ourselves. We need hope in the world around us. We need hope, and believe me, the world's not going to give you a reason to hope. You're going to need it from an external source and the Holy Spirit. Can give it to you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just getting hopeful all of a sudden. I feel hope rushing into me. I have. I feel good about tomorrow based upon what the Holy Spirit is giving me right now. That I know tomorrow is going to be a great day, wonderful day, a wonderful moment in life. Our future is bright. Don't you? You see the news, Stephen? Don't you know what's going on out there? How do you mean it's going to be bright? How can it be great? Things are getting worse and worse. Don't you realize this? That? Yeah, I could talk to you about all the darkness and I will tell you that definitely there's darkness in the future but we have hope and it does not matter because the Holy Spirit will give us that hope well how do I get that well you need to talk to God number seven we can pray in the Holy Spirit there's no better place to pray than in the Holy Spirit in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. How many of you ever feel weak? You have help. We do not know what we ought to pray for. You ever, you ever feel, you ever, you ever go to your prayer closet and you don't even know what to pray? You're just like, I don't know. The Holy Spirit knows. The Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Without you saying anything, this is not, some people say, well, that's, that's praying in tongues. No, tongues are words. This is wordless. 
Meaning it's just a, it's just a burning. It's just a feeling <laughs> on the inside. That when you're weak, that strength comes. The Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts, he's searching your heart tonight. He's looking inside. He, he wants to see. The Bible says the heart knows its own bitterness. Only the heart. But actuality, according to the scriptures, the Holy Spirit knows also what your heart knows. Because he's searching it out. He's finding it out. I like what David, the psalmist, says. Consider my cry. Um, uh, take ear to my, my supplication. And what it's speaking of there, the, the Hebrew word means to divide in pieces. Like you're sorting out a toolbox. All, all the pieces separately. Every, itemizing every element. That, that, that may means when the Holy Spirit is working on you. He's, he's dissecting you. He is dismantling you. Whatever complex machinery you've become, because of this life, the, the Holy Spirit will take you apart, searching our hearts. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So there's a plan. There's a purpose. It's God's and the Holy spirit, by the way, will never have any other plan to suggest to you other than the one that God has written in eternity or other than the one that the horizon lays out. That means predestined. He drew the horizons already. He knows your future. He knows the plans he made for you, not to harm you, but to prosper you and give you hope of a future. He knows. He says, my thoughts are, they're higher than your thoughts. My ways are above your ways. You're never going to figure it out. But, but the steps of the righteous one are ordered by me. You might not ever know it. How will you ever know your way if I'm the one that knows this? The Spirit knows because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Right now, the Holy Spirit is praying for you in this room. Right now, the Holy Spirit is breaking you down. Right now, the Holy Spirit is dividing every element and he's finding the little dark malignancies and the, the little lies, those little things in you that are corrupting the flow of hope, peace, and love. And he's pulling them out. He's like you have a dog that has ticks and fleas and he's picking the fleas off of you so that you can be pure, that he can cleanse you. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. All things, not some things, but for all things, everything happening in your life. I don't care how negative, how dark, how gloomy it may be. God will use it for your good. He works for the good of those who love him. If you just love him, do you love him? I'm, I'm telling him now, I love you, Lord. I love you because I know that you in all things work for my good because I am one that loves you. 
who have been called according to his purpose. See, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And you've been called to fulfill that purpose. So when you pray, this is what happens. You're praying in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is actively bringing you through the means of prayer and decision-making and living by the Spirit. We pray under the direction of the force of the Spirit when we submit to God. Tongues and the gifts of the Spirit are the same. They also flow through us. If you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can pray in tongues. I like praying in tongues. Sometimes I don't know really what to pray. Sometimes I just go off and pray in tongues. Because it's, it's easier and I feel good. I have prayed in tongues before for hours and could not stop crying. And the longer I prayed, the more I wept because I knew some business was getting taken care of. Yielding to the Spirit. <sighs> pray every day in the Spirit. Why would you pray in the flesh? It makes no sense. No, I want to pray in my natural reasoning. I want to pray with all of my life subject to the reality of time and space. That's foolish. When we have been given access to the powers of the world to come, why not yield to the powers of the world to come? Whatever circumstance is playing out in your life, whatever thing is happening in your existence, whatever concern you have, whatever worry, you may say, I know that God called me, but right now it doesn't seem as clear as it used to be. I know that God spoke to me, he gave me a vision and a plan, but things are not working out as well as I expected them to work out. For a while they seemed to be working out perfectly, but now it seems like everything's kind of falling apart. It seems like somebody got the plan or the book and has scribbled in it, and it's not making sense any longer. I'm telling you that God is still in control. No matter what your natural mind perceives or believes, God is in control. And all you have to do is leave it in his hands. Pray in the Spirit. Just yield to the Spirit. Live in the power of the Holy Spirit. These seven things we saw. And their choices. This is what we're gonna this is what we're gonna pray tonight, right here. This is our prayer written up. Choices. We choose to live. We choose to yield our mind. We choose the realm in which we want to live. We choose to conquer sin by the Holy Spirit. We choose to recognize our, our adoption. We choose to accept the Holy Spirit's hope. And we choose to put it all into the words of prayer. And why don't we stand to our feet?